and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Tash Price, I am beside myself with excitement to have you on this She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this, Jules. No, it's going to be great. So first, let's tell everybody what you're doing now, being an invincible woman. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm doing now? Oh, my God, where do I start? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you've got as long as you want, so tell us all. Okay, so right now I am an entrepreneur. I've got my own business, um, Invincible, alongside my business partner, Adam Shepard. We do motivational speaking. We do mindset training, coaching, uh, mentoring. We do uh, inclusion and diversity training, and that will uh, lead into the rest of my story. And um, I guess everything we do is about trying to bring visibility to disability and also help people to embrace their challenges and adapt and overcome. I'm also an elite wheelchair racer, an author, a podcaster. <laughs> oh uh, my God. Won a ton of awards. There's there's a lot going on. <laughs> there is a lot going on. And I've seen you all over LinkedIn with Adam and you obviously have a great relationship because you seem to be constantly teasing each other, which yes. I love. Um, <laughs> Best part of my day. <laughs> Um, Okay. Well, look, how about we start talking about your life? Because I'm sure that that will start to unravel all the different things that you've done. So you need to remember to tell me all of the things that you've done. But we'll start off with where did you grow up? What sort of size family did you have? What did your parents do? That kind of thing. Okay. So I grew up in the UK. I was um, um, born there in the 80s. Yeah. And um, Whereabouts in the UK? in Hereford, so it's a it's a little town on the Welsh border, um, okay. the old English capital of many many centuries ago. Um, beautiful old cathedral city, full of history, but it's um, a little farming community mostly. Right, and um, I spent until I was about five years old there. Right. My dad, my dad was a professional football player. So, soccer. oh, right. Wow. Yeah. And when, when I turned five, he landed his first big contract with Blackburn Rovers. And we Ooh. went off traveling around the country to all the different, different places, different teams he ended up going to. So I never really settled anywhere. So I've, I've lived in Hereford, I've been in Birmingham. I've been in Blackburn. I've lived in Leeds, Sheffield. Yeah, right. Uh, all over the place. So, did, so I have a gypsy life. <laughs> that's which is fair. I always think that's a really good grounding. Actually, I had yeah, a bit, a bit the same being an army brat. Um, but what was I going to say? Did your dad make it to the A League? Yes. Yeah. So he he played. Um, He's very, very lucky. He's played all over the world. He's played for the biggest, biggest teams. Uh, he wow. never Yeah. So he um he was lucky enough to play for England in nineteen would have been nineteen seventy-nine, I believe. Wow, um, Tash, yeah, that's so, amazing. What a role model. Yes, yeah. And I and I think his his um, tenacity and his um, resilience when it came to his life as a football player is is exactly what gave me the grounding for um, my own motivations where I am now. 
Amazing. I, I'm, and you know, the world for anybody who's listening, the World Cup is just we, well, we've just been knocked out as Australia, which we nearly always are. But <laughs> yeah, that is uh, a, the Aussies did well though. Yeah, they did. They did. And next time, let's hope they get to the top eight or the top yeah. sixteen. But yeah, or they exactly. did. We're in the top sixteen. But so, so do you follow soccer quite closely, the World Cup and those sorts of things um, now? Mostly, um, I'd probably not as much so as I did when I was in the UK because it's, right. it's obviously not yeah, quite everywhere. as big over here. But um, I do, I do try to. I, we're still heavily involved with um, his, you know, the, the club that he spent the longest. I was going to say, Villa, so um, oh, they, they were, Villa. yeah. So they were they were here in Brisbane. Well, they did an Aussie tour um, earlier in the year, and they were here in Brisbane, and it was. It was such a surreal experience because we're very, very used to being in the UK and dad having lots of people, you know, chasing after him and you know, yeah. fans and all that kind of stuff. But it's it was very, very weird being here and having that same thing where he's he's a bit he's of a known. legend. Other and side of the world. Yeah, he's a bit of a legend. And and just seeing him back, I guess, around his people. Yeah. Um, doing what he does and, and you know, talk. He's, he's a, he speaks about football and about his life as a football player. Um, it, it's just it's a pleasure to see it when he gets those opportunities to be back in that kind of atmosphere again. Yeah. Um, I, I took Adam to the football game um, game against Brizzy against Brisbane Raw, and um, I think Adam was just really shocked to see just how big dad was and how yeah. how well respected he was within that community so yeah it was a great experience oh I love that and do you have brothers and sisters I have a younger sister so she's uh, almost 11 years younger than me oh gosh right uh, I, I came I was my parents were just 18 when they had me so yeah very very young and so, and um, so you've been on the whole journey with them I would imagine yeah, I have I have so Amazing. dad was at the very very start of things when when I came along and uh, my sister was the planned one <laughs> <laughs> I love that okay so uh, grew up that is an amazing story and obviously will have had a big impact on your life but talk to me about school did you enjoy school well I actually and and I should ask because I'm completely ignorant were you in a wheelchair as a child okay so we'll get to that stage so um so you what, what were you like at school did you enjoy it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> I I was uh, I was the rebellious one. Um, right. I, I did well at school. I, I I did well at school. I was always I was always very academic, but um, I think I was also very um, influenced by people around me. And I think my biggest issue at school was I was always changing, always changing schools. I think I went to uh, like. 25 different schools all together so always going to a different school always making new friends and as much as I see that as a positive now back then I didn't yeah it's really hard as a a kid and as a teenager having to make new friends all the time yeah um and also everybody knew who dad was so it Uh, it was teasing as well yeah Yeah. for for me it wasn't a good experience in that I I got a lot of bullying um if dad had a bad game I'd be bullied by by the by his own fans and by the parents of school children they who could be quite quite vile and vicious at times um and then we lived in uh, Birmingham 
So Aston Villa and Birmingham City are two huge teams. They're very opposing sides. Right. And, and, you know, football's a religion in the UK. It is. It and is totally. If, and being the daughter of an Aston Villa player, I would often get a lot of problems from the Birmingham City fans. And, the and you know, even the kids, kids can be, they take on the attitudes of their parents. Yes, and, yes. Um, I quite often found that uh, I would end up with a few... Uh, issues because of that and uh, unfortunately I think dad also ended up in a few arguments with people with parents at the school because um because their children they take it also personally yeah I mean I remember when I was working in London in Chelsea and um only for a very short time I worked in a pub and they said it'll be closed on Saturday and I said oh my god a pub closed on a Saturday and they were like (laughs) no no there's a football match there's no pubs allowed to open within two miles of the ground or something and I thought god it is a whole other world over there in in terms of how important the sport is a bit like I guess AFL is in Melbourne yeah absolutely but, um, much better yeah. paid. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Very that true. is true. Okay, so did you finish school? Did you go to year 12? Yeah, so um, I did. I, I went to a few different schools, but um, yes, I completed school. I I went to, um, in the UK, what is sixth form college? Yeah. So that's where you finish, I guess, your last two years of school. Um, I ended up sadly getting kicked out of sixth form and had to finish all my exams off my own back. Um, I, I spent two years quite unwell um, with gynecological issues and I had to have a hysterectomy. Oh, um, I at was that age? Like, at 19, yeah. Oh, my 19. goodness. Wow. And, um, I, um, <clears throat> and the, school, the college, instead of being supportive, actually just kicked me out because they were more interested oh in league tables God. than Imagine they were. these <laughs> days oh, if it, that it happened. Happen. No. no. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen these days. I can't believe they did that I, to you. Um, yeah, I, I, I went to the local MP and everything and they just didn't want to get involved. Um, and, and I guess what annoyed me most about that is I was getting straight A's at the time and I was due to do really, really well in my exams. Oh, but my God. They, just, they didn't care. They just – I would have thought you your know. dad would have been able to influence them, but they just and, didn't no, want to no, know. They just – they didn't care. They had absolutely is, no support for me whatsoever. And that um, is awful. But look at you. Again, look what though, you did. Went off and exactly. did it yourself. And that's and that's the thing. It it taught me to be self sufficient yeah. and um and, and and build and start building resilience that I needed for things to come later in my life. So it, it yeah, everything happens for a reason. With every cloud, there's a silver lining. <laughs> And, and obviously you're able to look at that and I love anyone with a Pollyanna attitude. I'm a bit the same myself. So well done though. I mean, that is a, that is a, a tough call in, in year 12. Yeah. So was the, what, what did you decide to do when you finished? Was it straight off to uni or were you um, itching to I get did. into the workforce? No, I did go to uni. I started uni. Um, I had to pull out after the first semester. Um, I, I, I ended up actually with anorexia, and I think oh the, my goodness. the the, All the challenges, bullying. yeah, just everything. Everything at that yeah. point got on top of me, and. Um, it just it all got a bit too much and I think I had to pull out and take a little bit of time to myself to sort myself out um how did you uh, do that what did you do to sort yourself out 
Um, I actually came traveling to Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's yeah. kind of where, that's where my love affair with Oz started. Um, right. I, I, I think it's good I, sometimes to have that break and just get yeah. yourself out of the whole situation. Yeah. It's kind of how I ended up in London in my late 20s again. Yeah, <laughs> Similar thing. But I, so whenever, whenever there's anything big going on in my life, I tend to do something off. drastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's, I think that is all the moving around when we were younger. I love Love change yeah. as well. Yeah. So, okay, so you took off um, around to just straight to Australia. I know it's number yes. one destination for everyone yeah, in the UK. It was. Um, I spent twelve months here backpacking, um, camping around the country, and I've got I've got some stories about that too. A- any particular <laughs> one that you want to share that stands yeah. out? Yeah, the major one was six weeks into our trip. Um, we were camping in WA, outback WA. Uh, right. Who's we? Who's we? Were you with us? Uh, it was me, me and my boyfriend at the time. Okay. So, yep. um, yeah, very much an ex now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Outback um, WA. Yeah, we were um, we were great picking at um, at a winery yeah. in the middle of nowhere and. At night, we would stay in a tiny little two-man dome tent, and on because it was so small, all our bags and equipment and everything else had to be parked in our um, put in our car, which was parked outside the front of the tent. Yep. Anyway, whilst we were asleep at night, the car was stolen with ah, no. everything we owned in it. Like there was Stop no people it. for miles. Like I know. nobody around. <laughs> the, I think. That in itself would have been tough. I mean, our passports, money, everything was in the car. Oh. But that the hardest thing for me was I was type. I'm, I'm type one, but diabetic, and my insulin was stolen. Oh my um, God. And because we were so far from medical help, Anywhere. medical attention, I actually ended up in a coma and um, had to be airlifted to Perth, a uh, Fremantle hospital. And very, very nearly lost my life. I was, um, I, I was told that I was an hour away from dying. So, so. How, how did you? What do you do when you're in? I mean, did you have a phone at least? Were you able to no, call someone? That, that how about, what did your it boyfriend was, do? He must have been in. Bits. I, have that. I have no idea. Just um, put you in the car and drove. Is that yeah, basically how you yeah, got there? But we didn't. We oh, didn't, you didn't have, have a car. car. No. So, so what did you do? Um, from memory because this was in 2001 mobile phones didn't really work in no, Australia back then no. there was no um there was we he walked um about 10 k's to the nearest phone box and managed to get hold of the police but the nearest police station was hours and hours and hours away by the time by the time the cops got to us i was um in already a coma already like gone um and it took a while then to get the air ambulance to us to then get me to the hospital i'm so glad that you (laughs) i mean luck luckily yes it it was sorted out but my god it's um changed your attitude about i bet it changed your attitude about going to remote places and camping (laughs) well it did i i guess when you come from the uk it's such a small place everything's so close together we were only six weeks into the trip so that concept of how hard it is in in outback australia just didn't even really register to us yeah i just i hadn't even thought keep insulin with you at all times just in case it's just not something that would normally even no but but let's be honest you wouldn't also expect to lose your car in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere i mean that's that is such bad luck did they ever find the car by the way (laughs) 
yes, it was found burnt out on the side oh, of the road stop. about 400 kilometres away. So. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. I wasn't expecting that as the story. Okay, so <laughs> so you went to get away and obviously had some pretty dramatic yeah. adventures. Uh, yeah. What happened when you got home? Um. Oh, good question. Oh, I went and worked for a little while. Um, I just, just got myself a a part-time job in a, in a shop. I was actually in a map shop. I was selling maps and travel and travel books. I loved it. (laughs) It's probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. It was so much fun to just talk about travel. And um, (laughs) I'm such a geek with that stuff. I've been so many places. I love to be able to just chat to people about it who, who also have that same kind of passion. So it was always, always loved doing that. Um, And the, the plan was to save up a little bit of money and, um, go to uni, get back, get back to uni and try and, um, try and complete my degree. And I, I did that. Well, what for, was the degree in? Um, so originally I did law. Right. Um, of course but, you did. <laughs> <laughs> no little small arts degrees for you. Yeah, no, originally I did law, but I had, um, after comp- I did, you know, I ended up completing it. I actually ended up completing it through um, home study through the open uni so right. that I could continue working for a while. Then the plan was to go back and get a master's degree in complete, complete change of tact in um, travel and tourism. Right. Uh, I wanted to do travel and tourism management. I think I just knew that I loved traveling so much that I wanted to make a career out of it. I wasn't sure how, I wasn't entirely sure what the direction would be and how, um, how that different choice would um, affect me from my original one of, of doing law. The thing right. was with law, it's what I'd wanted to do since I was three years old. I told my parents I was going to be a lawyer at three years old. And it wasn't until I actually finished my degree that I realized that no, it wasn't wasn't for me. I'm I'm an advocate. I'm 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 very passionate about justice, but at the yes. same time, within the confines of the law, it, you don't get that chance um, to really allow those passions Make to come that out. Change. So, yeah, that's yeah. so weird. You know, of the I think I've interviewed about two hundred women for this podcast now, and I reckon at least a third of them started off as lawyers. So there's yeah. something about law that leads you into entrepreneurship. I don't yeah, know what it I is. So. <laughs> but I, I don't, and for some women, I think it's just, you know, that the restrictions are so strong yeah. within law in terms of, you know, what they allow you to do and what's frowned exactly. upon that and you get out and go freedom. Yeah, and sadly, there's still so much sexism within the yeah, law. It's, yeah. um, it's 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 very Patriarchal. hard to yep. yeah, very 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 much so. So I, I I see a lot of women go into it and then think, nah, I can do so much better out on my own doing other things. So, it's funny. Yeah. So you think the industry would actually look at itself and and go, what are we doing that these women don't stay in? But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so okay, so you, so what did you do once you had completed your degree? Um, I, okay. So by that point, my family had actually moved to Australia. So yeah. So my, my mum, my dad, my sister had all, all moved here. Why? Um, Why? What was uh, my, my doing really? I, I, we, they'd lived in Spain for six, six, seven years. And, um, it, 
as much as they loved living over there, it was hard work. Um, the language barriers and just some some of the bureaucracy that they have their own business there and some of the bureaucracy there made it um, really, really hard to keep going. They, they had a few tough things happen, um, including somebody stealing all their money and running off with it. And, so they wanted um, a fresh start again. Yeah, they wanted a fresh start. And I was like, you need to go to Woz. I loved it there. <laughs> You'll love it there. And all, all I was thinking was, I'm going to come there soon at some point. I just, I don't know how right now, but it will happen. Um, I I made the decision to come over here with them for a, a few months. I, right. I, um, I took an extended break and um, – thought I'll, I'll do that and then I'll come back and you know start with my long-term career plans um my whilst I was here my younger sister who was only 16 at the time was really really struggling to settle into the Australian school system right. it's, it's it's very very different it's very here. different very very different and um she was finding that she was really far advanced with her schooling compared to the kids in her group. I, and re- she, I remember yeah. so well arriving. I was here in year seven and I'd just left England and I reckon I could have gone into year 10. Yeah. Like I just, I'd learned Latin and biology and all sorts of things that, you know, and everyone <laughs> was learning about the yeah. pharaohs. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. And I think Danny, like me, has always been very academic and very, very um, driven and, and knew she wanted to you know, and, and I think it was it was making her not it was making her sick. She didn't want to be at school every right, day. She, right. she was doing what she could to avoid going. And I don't blame her. So um, I made the choice. Right. I'm going to take her back to the UK with me. Right. And um, help so that she can finish her last year, year of school in the UK and then come back to Australia afterwards. OK. Um, anyway, I kind of, this is what leads to where everything kind of goes completely wrong for me I guess I'd say wrong but it's actually led to all the good stuff in my life so it's not so wrong but But, um whilst whilst I was there um I I got really sick so would have been boxing day 2008 I I went went to bed on Christmas day as normal um we were actually staying at my auntie's overnight so staying with extended family I've woken up I've woken up the next morning completely blind in my right eye I couldn't yeah there was just like this this big black dark spot in the middle of my eye but no no pain no nothing nothing no pain just just couldn't see out of that eye and um I, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, I'm diabetic. Yes. Um, things, things like funny odd things like that happen with diabetes. You can, your vision can be affected if your blood sugars are off. And I was like, ah, oh, it's probably not something to be too concerned about. I'll try and get myself an optician's appointment. But because it was do- um, Boxing, day, Boxing Day, it was really, really hard to yeah. get any appointments. So. And can I ask, you were staying with your aunt and uncle. Were your parents still yeah. in Australia at this yes. stage? Yeah, okay, they were, so they were still here. Um, all right, so. So couldn't get to I the doctor. Couldn't couldn't get to the optician, and so I optician. basically basically waited it out for about a week before I could get myself an appointment. But over that week, things have gotten drastically worse, um, and my left eye became affected, and oh, I couldn't see the difference between night or day out of either eye. I oh was, my um, god! She ended up being ninety nine percent blind. Um, 
I eventually managed to, the decision was made to get me to the hospital because obviously something really I mean, yeah, was going on. Uh, yeah, I can't yeah. believe it took a week. Yeah, um, I, I, I was admitted to um, a specialist eye unit and they discovered that I had something called optic neuritis, which is um, swelling behind uh, of the optic nerve behind okay. the eye. So it wasn't actually the eye itself, it was the optic nerve. And um, I was admitted to hospital. They did lots of tests that went on for about six weeks, but they did didn't actually treat me for anything. So you're blind is, still through this whole so, six weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had absolutely no idea what and was terrified, going on. I'm sure. Yeah, it was. It was scary. I obviously I had my extended family there, and I had my little sister there, but yeah. I was trying to keep her away from it a little bit at 16. I, and and having her own things she had to deal with, I I, I didn't want to put her through too much. So. Um, I went through a lot of this on my own and um, the doctors couldn't quite figure out what was going on. So they didn't really give me any form of treatment. They knew there was this optic neuritis there, but they weren't sure what the cause was. Um, Because they left it so long to treat it, I actually ended up with permanent vision, vision issues. So I'm currently still legally blind in my right eye and low vision in my left. So I can't see anything oh, on, on the goodness, screen Tash. really it's um it it's it's one of those things so i've gone it from 99% vision um 99% vision loss to where i'm at now and to most people it would probably be hell having the kind of vision levels that i do but because it's one million times better than what it was yeah it actually seems good to me um it took about six years for it to actually come back to the level it has has now and and did they ever treat it i mean what did they i I can't believe they did nothing it's amazing (laughs) it's it's crazy but yeah yeah they they um they put me on steroids and um, intravenous steroids. And I, I went from a tiny little size six, well, probably like a size four to six person who had obviously a lot of issues with eating disorders to uh, probably a size 26. Um, oh, my, my weight just ballooned. Um, and, and there was just nothing I could do about it. I think the only saving grace for me at that point and why my mental health wasn't affected more was because I couldn't see myself. And, yeah. and I know that's I it I know how you look doesn't matter, but certainly how I would have felt about myself would have been very very different. Uh, diff- because especially if because you have food I, issues anyway, yeah, exactly. Because for me at that, at that point in my life, I was still very um, very much struggling with with how I felt about my my own body body shape so yeah I think I would have really struggled a lot more had I been able to see myself uh, but yeah um anyway I got I got sent I guess <laughs> I got sent to an old person's home to um go and do rehab because there was no rehab facilities uh, in, the, in the little town that I came this from. is just getting worse and worse I, I'm assuming there's a happy ending coming <laughs> there is, there's, there's a great ending coming I promise 
Oh, wow. Um, oh, you poor thing. So I was, I was. How um, long were you in, in that old people's home? Because I've heard oh, these stories yeah, and it's, it, it was it's something needs to change with the yeah, system anyway. I was, that, I was in my 20s and as, uh, as much as I'm not in the slightest bit ageist and I treat everybody the no. same, it was very tough being around people with dementia and, um, you know, and, you know, in their 80s and 90s and that there was, there was no one for me to rely on for support, but it's just one of those things at at the end of the day, it could have been, the experience could have been a lot worse, but it also could have been a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was there for maybe four, eh, no, actually probably about three months. Um, when I started getting lower back pain, and within a couple of days of getting this lower back pain, I was paralyzed from the waist down. Um, Tash, yeah. what, so what was it this time? <laughs> so part of the same thing, they actually ended up finding out what kind of finding out what was going on with me. Um, they took me into hospital. I had all MRIs and scans and lumbar punctures. And, and it didn't progress anywhere except your legs. At that point. Oh, at okay. That point, There's yeah, more coming. There is. Oh, God. <laughs> it's never ending. <laughs> um, so anyway, it turned out that I had this rare condition called neuromyelitis optica, which is it's a little bit like multiple sclerosis. It affects your spinal cord and your optic nerve. Um, oh, so they were connected. Yes. Yeah. Right. So um, oh it, the God. problem is it's such a rare condition that it's often not misdiagnosed as MS or just not not discovered at all. And um, they, they've been giving me the wrong treatment all along. Oh, and gosh. And did, so, did the steroid treatment make it worse? No, no. I was, I was very, very lucky. The steroid treatment is one of the treatments they give okay. you for, um, for the condition anyway, but it's not. It's something that's given as a quick fix to try and stop a relapse. It's not a treatment <laughs> right. that's given to prevent further, further issues. So I'd never been on any kind of preventative treatment. Um, at that point in time, they – they knew so little about the disease that there weren't a lot of treatment options. And when I was put on the correct things, most of them didn't work for me anyway. So I had chemotherapies and lost all my hair, became bold. Um, oh my I, I was, oh God, I had, oh my my last ke- had my last chemo on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Day that year, I was really, Pretty really sick. sick. Yeah. And meanwhile, what your parents must have been beside themselves. Did yeah. they come? back to the uk they they would have liked to but (laughs) they couldn't you're not going to believe what happened okay what happened (laughs) um so they're here in australia they have their own business um down on chevron island and um global financial crisis hits and they lost the business they lost their home they lost everything so they were stuck here going through that um, and they didn't unable, have enough money to get back to me. They didn't have the money to get back to me. Um, I they didn't have I didn't have the money to be able to get back here because I had to. Um, obviously, I was too medically intense to um, travel back <laughs> to Australia without uh, medical support, which right. would, have, would have cost me about twenty thousand dollars to to be able to do. And so we were we were separated for for quite some time um, oh my goodness to yeah. just have to go through it on your own when they're over there and yeah, it was, younger it was, sister's it was trying tough. to do year 12 yeah. it's it was what tough. a story <laughs> it was tough and I know <laughs> it isn't finished yet but shit no. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so what did they do so what did 
so when you've had the paralysis, what what's next? I mean, was it just sort of we can't do very much, so we'll, we'll give you some rehab? Do you know what? The, I was never offered rehab. I was never offered <sighs> rehab. Um, I, think, I just want to shoot all those doctors uh, in the UK yeah, who, for was, one reason and another, yeah, and I'm sure they all, you know, each individually looked at in itself is, you know, forgivable but the combination yeah, of it yeah, it just is, yeah, lots of sounds lots like of, incompetence mm, lots mm. of things kind of went against me um there i'd already made the decision that i wanted to come back to australia yeah and the the doctors knew that i'd made that choice um I, because of that, I kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. They right. kept me in hospital for would have been about seven months, and I was oh having. Oh my god, that's such because, a long well, time. I, yeah, it was, and I was obviously I was having to have treatment, and I was having to have um, a lot of support at that time. Yeah, but I wasn't um, in a place to be able to go to rehab there there would have been options had it been looked into properly but right. just so that I could have done both rehab and still receive treatment but it just wasn't it wasn't really looked Ugh. at when I when I eventually did leave hospital um I I I had there was nowhere for me to go um my as as I'm sure you know about about in the UK, most houses Everybody are very, lives very in small. two stories. They're two yes. stories. There was, I couldn't go to my extended family because they're, you know, big families in tiny homes with, with stairs. It was just, it was, there was nowhere set up for me. So um, I actually ended up having to go and live in a homeless shelter. This, this, the story oh just, my, this is, oh no. I don't, it's so funny. I don't usually tell the whole story. No, so I'm it, sorry. It, I'm a bit I, nosy I, as well, no, 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 but like I'm good. listening to it going, when oh, I, when I talk, talk about, about it like this, like, I kind of like, oh my god, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's called being kicked when you're down, yeah. time and time yeah. and time again. Yeah. And look at what a positive, great, smiley woman you are. It's yeah. but that's it's it. extraordinary it's because because I say to myself, well, look, nothing shit can't get worse than that. So no, and what can you do other than try and get through it? I guess yeah, and so, that's, and that's it. Um, I think for me being in the homeless shelter was was scary because um i didn't i couldn't still couldn't see anything at that point can't and, see uh, and yeah, can't move easily and exactly and i and i was really really struggling to get around um and what were and, they like there? Were they were they supportive, oh, I, or were they just was, you, you're just another one? We'll just yeah, shove you in a I little room, and I, yeah, and that was I think that was it. They they weren't really sure what to do with me. They'd never, I guess, experienced that level Somebody, of disability. Uh, uh, yeah, no. Um, I was I was very very lucky in that I had um, great carers that would come and see me and look after me there, and I had a good network of friends where I'm from. But couldn't so they have I, even put you in a council flat or something? I mean, nothing. I just find there the just, whole there thing. There was just nothing at the time. Um, Gosh. And how old are you at this stage? Like in your so mid twenties? I would have been twenty eight. Okay, nearly yeah. thirty. Yeah. So. Oh my God, the challenges you uh, have put up with. Okay, so what came next? <laughs> um, what came next? I um, we eventually got a council house. Um, right, you and your was, sister. Uh, yeah, yeah, my, me and my yeah. sister. Um, we finished out her school time, and um, 
actually I had some wonderful friends in the town that I'm from who did some fundraising for me and uh, they actually raised enough money for me to get back to Australia um, and right. I, I, I didn't go about it the right way but I just wanted to get here so I jumped on a flight and worried about the visa and everything else once I got here and oh my and, god Tash um, <laughs> right, um, not but, great no, I imagine but, that the they didn't send you home no, back though. No, they didn't. Thank and then God. I actually I, I was actually lucky I had um I had a lot of support from, from government officials. Um oh, good. I think I think and it is very unusual. Like it was a long fight. Um but I think also they saw that if I was able to get through this, that I would be able to bring some value to the Australian economy. And that's absolutely and, you know, I I had qualifications, I had I was always planning on going about it the right way. It was more that um, at that point, I had no options in the UK. I couldn't yeah. afford to stay there. I had no, I couldn't afford to live off the government benefits there because they were so tiny. I couldn't feed myself and my sister. Um, the All of my money was going on weekly rent on the council house, yeah. which was just an absolute dive i was getting sicker and sicker and sicker and we just we needed out we, we so just did your couldn't. sister come back with you yes yeah, so she came okay, back with great. me um yep. mom and, and dad think, would have been ecstatic yes, to see you yeah, i'm sure exactly exactly and um i think what worked in my favor was at that point my by that point my mum and dad um you know they were full residents they had just qualified for australian citizenship so they were applying okay and great. um they were my only support network within my immediate family and my sister was here too. So um, I, I was very, very lucky in that that worked in my favour. So um, I, I got here, I fought for four years, I think it was, to get a visa. But um, oh, like I said, I was very lucky because of the support of a lot of people um, that, I was, that I was able to stay. And I guess having gone through that and the fight I'm, I had to get here, it's what made me so incredibly driven to want to give back to the community because I, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I had and the life that I had now if I was still in the UK. I, I don't no. I don't even know if I'd still be here, if I'm honest. Life was so hard that um, – You I, just I, weren't I, getting I, a I break think, anywhere, no, were you? And, I, and, and my health was suffering terribly. I, I've always been very positive and, and, you know, it is what it is, but um, – I think it was more a level of acceptance. Oh, well, I just, you know, life's yeah. shit. It's always going to be shit. So just, you know, get on with it. But, um, but no, you fought my, against my that. Outlook, yeah, my outlook changed a lot when I when I got here. Well, after a little while of being here anyway. But, well, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you, had, you have had so much to deal with by the time you were 28. I don't I even want to ask you, but I'm hoping it's all positive from there on. So, um, but you know, might not be, but, but tell me, so after you got here, you presumably lived with your mum and dad for a while, did you? Yeah. I still do. I still do. Um, Just, it, it, you know, it's hard for a single woman to be able to afford a place on their own. And, um, and, and just because there are extra needs that I have that it's not, necessarily safe for me to be on my own all the time yeah um it's, it's so i have i'm I have delighted se- that separate, you're with them yeah, yeah I, I, i'm very much separate to them but um we live on the same property so at least oh, at least there's that added support there if, if it's needed yeah. and are you close to the city close to hospitals and things now uh, 
no, well, we're we're kind of we're halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, so um, right. Yeah, it, I mean, it's so close enough. Not too it's much of a drive yeah, if if, yeah. Any, if needed. Okay, exactly. so you're kind of a little bit set up. So, at what stage did you go? Right, I'm going to get on with my life and and uh, sport <laughs> well, and all the other things, authors and speaking. Yeah, and, there's a, there's a there's a little bit of a story that leads into that, and I'll try and yeah, tell it go quickly. No, no, this, we have no. This, this is amazing. This story. Keep telling um, me. In 2012, I had a major relapse. So I um, had gone into hospital to have a feeding tube fitted into my stomach. Um, right. At, at that point, I my stomach was completely paralyzed from everything that was going on with my body and, and from the NMO. And um, we decided that the best course, course of action for, to keep me alive was to have a feeding tube. I think my weight had gone down to about 38 kilos. So I was, oh I was very, very, very sick. I was being vomiting about 60 times a day because my stomach just wasn't digesting. Yeah, my stomach uh, just wouldn't digest anything. There was no food going down. Oh, um, so I, I'd gone into hospital. I can't my- believe you're alive, actually, really. <laughs> just can hearing I. the story. Can I. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. So I'd um I've gone into hospitals, have this feeding tube fitted, and it, uh, Mother's Day, yeah. the morning of the surgery, I'm sat at the sink in the hospital room, you know, and um just this little white sink cleaning my teeth, and next thing I know. I'm slumped over the sink. There's water streaming down my face and I couldn't move a single part of my body. Absolutely nothing. There was, there was, um, I couldn't communicate. I just, all I know is this, this water was choking me. Um, it, God, it felt like an absolute eternity before someone actually came in and noticed there was something wrong, that there was a woman there choking under uh, the water. Um, and the wardsmen have been called. They've come in. They've lifted me up onto the bed and called the doctors to come in and do some testing. So they've done all this testing and, you know, poking, prodding, all the usual stuff, all the scans. Um, I can I just ask, by this time, did they know what it was? Had you been diagnosed? Yeah. Or not yet? Well, yes. Okay. So there'd be, been that initial diagnosis in the UK, but the doctors right. doctors over here were a little bit like, eh, it might be that, or it might be something that's even more rare than, um, right. than that. And that it has elements of that condition, but they weren't entirely convinced that's what it is and they're still at that point now so um, even today they're like yeah it might be that but you because you don't have the antibodies it may not be so right it's very much up in the air but okay so you've got this kind of it's it's called locked in syndrome isn't it when you are literally only you can't do anything other than see what's going which of yeah, course you couldn't exactly. see easily either <laughs> oh, exactly. each time I think of this oh, so, so, so anyway, they, they've taken me to the hospital bed and uh done all these tests the next I had to wait till the next morning for the doctors to the, the the actual doctors to come and see me and this this um Einstein looking fellas come you know walking into my room he's got big white hair (laughs) and a a bow tie Uh, at the point at that point my vision was still really bad and all I could see was this outline against the against the window in the uh, in the background and he's um he's looked at me and he's gone 
okay, Tash, you, you're just going to have to get used to this life. This is going to be your life from here on in. No, I'm like, you I'm did like, not. I don't know. That, that's exactly what he said to me. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. No, no, no. Nah. No, no, way. <laughs> no, that's, that's not, no, don't like that. And um, it, I think it was, it was actually a catalyst for me because someone telling me that I can't do something and it's and the that first they're time. Up. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Oh no, no, I don't like that. It's, it, it's funny though. Um, it actually took me about seven or eight months from that point to kind of say to myself, uh, sorry, no, actually it wasn't seven, eight months. It would have been no four years, four years. It was four years from that point before I kind of realized that what he told me was Bullshit. Or, yeah, that it, and that you, the, but but what? But how do, you, how do you? I don't understand how you're you're even you know talking to me now. How yeah. did you recover from that? Did so, they do anything? Yes, it sounds I, like you'd given up. No, I'd. Um, they <coughs> put me. Th- I was very very lucky. I went through rehab at the old Southport Hospital and right. um, had some incredible nursing staff there that wholeheartedly supported me and um, did did everything they could in their power to try and get me back to back to a a decent state I guess uh seven months I was in rehab there and um when I left I was still still very much convinced that my life was just going to consist of being in bed every single day and because so, so what, what stage had they got you to at that stage so uh, were you I was, complete I was able, able to talk to, I was able to talk I was able to sit up unaided um, right. I was a, able to feed myself and do the so basic you could use your tasks. arms yes yes but not in a I didn't have a lot Fully of functional yeah, way. I didn't have a lot of strength and my dexterity was terrible, but we were working really, really hard on that stuff. And I'd been given okay. things that I could do at home to try and keep improving on that. But I guess the, the, the exercises and the activities I were given was, were never built to push me. They were built right. more to just help me do enough to get by. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah, something so, shifted in your head yeah, by the sounds of it. I, I mean, I spent I spent in total from from the start of this illness to where things changed for me, uh, close to ten years doing nothing, just being in bed most days, watching TV, reading on you know audio books a lot, and um, kind of being convinced that yeah, I'm happy, I'm fine. You play the card you've been dealt, and the card I've been dealt is that I just got to. Get on with it up and, and yeah. just, you know, and this is my life. And that, that thought and, and that, um, that opinion of that doctor made me believe that even more. So whilst I was accepting of my situation, I also thought that my life would amount to nothing. And, oh, Tasha, and what, meanwhile, what, yeah. what are your parents saying to you? Because your dad um, must have I been think, quite driven as well. Yeah, he, he, he definitely is. And my, my mum is the world's biggest ball maker. She's great. Right. I love her. She's, <laughs> she's, she's fiery and, and I guess everything I've always aspired to be. But um, it's... Yeah, I think, I think, and this is going to sound terrible, but there's a lot of ableism in society, unconscious bias that we as people don't, don't even realise we have. And when you see someone become that sick in your life, it's also easy for you to accept 
when when you've not been around disability yourself to just accept that that's if the doctor said your life's going to amount to nothing then that's then the, that's, then... that's the way it is oh, so my God. They were great. They always kept yeah. me positive, but much like me, just kind of accepted things the way it was. Right. Um, and then what happened? What, what happened was <laughs> in 2017, I yeah. was, I've got this huge 55 inch TV screen on my, on my bedroom wall. And right. I was sat there with my parents on the couch next to the screen, me in bed watching the TV and Gold Coast Marathon comes up on telly and I see the wheelchair oh, I'm getting, racer. I'm getting goosebumps already. Oh my <laughs> I see God. the wheel- wheelchair racer, Kurt Fernley, doing his thing. Yeah. The, the man's incredible. World he record is. holder, Paralympian, you know, he's just he's just incredible. And I've, I've looked at my parents and I don't know what it was that made me say this. Just all I know is it's just something that just clicked inside of me. I was sick of life the way it was. And I was like, I'm going to do that. That That's oh what I want to do. So bear in mind at this time, I couldn't even get myself out of bed out on of my bed. own. I was, I was relying on support from support workers, from family to even Your muscles must have me. atrophied. Yeah, you I, know, I, yeah, I, I was can't... not, I was not in a good way. Um, and How amazing! They've, they've kind of looked at me, you know. Oh, okay, well done, sweetie. Yeah, you you do that. Okay, cool, <laughs> awesome. I think they thought I was a little bit crazy. Uh, it took me twelve. You months. obviously are. <laughs> yeah, 12, 12 months. Twelve months from that point to when I completed my first marathon. That is just oh my god! You've blown me away. How yeah. did you do it though? Like, how um, did I mean? Get out of bed, into the wheelchair, and take yourself to a gym. Is that how yeah, it started? Or uh, I I would start just by pushing in my day chair there's a there's a little lake down at the bottom of the road and from my house it's literally 400 meters away and then it's like half a kilometer around the lake I would get myself up into my day chair and push or at least get some help with that at the start and then I would just take extra steps or not extra steps yes. <laughs> every single but, day to go that little bit further to do that little bit more till eventually it became that I was doing 20 kilometers a day in my in my day chair um wow there was it it and, and your then, upper body strength must have just started yeah, exactly like exactly changing um, everything exactly and um, whilst I've never got the use of my lower limbs back, I was I was obviously becoming quite strong at that point. And my my dexterity and other things are still not what they should be, but I've adapted to that and managed to make it work for me. Um, right. I I just I started just falling in love with being fit and being outdoors. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take up a gym membership, and I remember just being completely petrified of all this stuff because I'd been stuck inside on my own for so long. I had I had a, a small group of friends here, but um obviously I'd I'd not actually been able to get out and about all that much with them. So um yeah it was just it was petrifying. All this stuff was so scary to me. But I just remember thinking I can't live this life anymore. I yeah. I know I that have I have to do this. Yeah I know that my life can amount to something. I know that I have the the passion and the capabilities to be able to do more than this. I can't believe this was 2017, (laughs) considering the massive list of accomplishments you've got now. Yeah. And then, um, so I did my, did my first marathon, um, Gold Coast Marathon on, um, July, the, I think it was July 5th, um, 
2018. No, it was July 4th. I remember that because because it was Independence Day. Right. Um, uh, Gold, Coast Mar- Gold Coast Marathon. I, I'd Is only that had 2018? Did that take, it took you tw- a year to get to that 20, stage? 20, uh, yeah, 2018, yeah. Okay. And um, God. I'd only had a racing chair for six weeks. So it, right. it um, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, like absolutely no idea whatsoever. Everything that could go wrong went wrong on the day. Of course it did, because, because, because that's your that's story of your life. Happened. I know, because that's just what happens with me. Um, something that should have, t- in a racing chair, probably um, with my fitness, it was my fitness was okay at that point. Um, yeah. Probably should have taken me about, at that point, maybe three and a half, four hours to complete. To Took complete me nearly it. six hours. Um, I got I got flat front tires. The wheels were rubbing so badly on the fenders of my chair because I hadn't realized that they weren't attached properly because I knew nothing about the chair. Right. So it was like I had brakes on for the entire entire 42 kilometers um <laughs> i pulled oh i pulled God. my thumbnail i pulled my thumbnails off oh stop um, oh, just oh. everything that but could you go did wrong. it but you I, completed I did it. it i did it i did it incredible in my it was like it was five hours 58 minutes or something like that i got over the finish line and i sobbed like a baby <laughs> well what it an just, achievement though yeah. you, i bet you couldn't believe that you'd no, done I couldn't, it i couldn't because you are invincible. 12, that is thank you. totally the, the right be, business yeah, name. 12 months before that, I couldn't even like move myself, let alone considered that I'd be and doing, just doing I could, I, I'll tell you now, I couldn't do 42Ks <laughs> if you paid me a million dollars. That's incredible. Um, it, it was it was definitely an experience. And, and, I did guess, it, and it shifted something in your head, do you think? Yeah, because yeah, I everything can't believe changed. what you've done in the last three years. Everything changed from that point. So during that marathon, I met um, elite wheelchair racers, Paralympians, who said to me, come along to a development camp at the Australian Institute of Sport. I'm like, right. oh my God, like this was so far outside my comfort zone. I was like, why are you asking me? I'm I'm nobody. I'm just somebody who's <laughs> They've just, just wanted to yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, forty two Ks with the brakes on. I'm like, okay, cool, sure I'll come along. Amazing. I've never been so scared in my life. Went along, had a ball, met lots of people. Um I met a wonderful family who are from Logan, so quite local to me here on the Gold Coast. And they said to me, because I I was looking for a coach, there's no one in Queensland for who knows anything about wheelchair racing, to be fair. And um, everyone is based in New South Wales or Victoria or, or the ACT. And, um, and you weren't tempted to move, I notice. No. Nah. <laughs> oh, no. And, of course, you're with your parents and, yeah, the, and exactly, the family up there exactly. as well. And to be honest, I, I love the Gold Coast. It's the only place I've ever yeah. felt settled my whole life. I, I, don't, right. I can't imagine me living anywhere else. But, um, yeah, so I, I met this family and they said they knew of a retired racer here, here on the coast who be worth speaking to who might be able to coach me that retired racer was adam stop and, it yeah and so that's how you met each other yes that's how we met each and what other. did he think when he saw it did he just yeah go <laughs> yeah he was he was um so i i messaged him on, on on facebook and said listen i'm looking for a coach is can you help me he was like yeah sure i mean i don't know what i can do he wasn't he wasn't a qualified coach at that time but he was he was a personal trainer so um right yeah so i was like he's like yeah cool come on you know we'll, we'll set up a session at, at the track and just 
you know, see what see what we think of each other. Uh, we hit it off like a house on fire straight away. We just uh, we just clicked immediately, and and you, from the second we knew each other, you'd think that we'd known each other our whole lives. It just uh, um, well, there you go. It was yeah. all meant to be. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think he ended up being my coach for about three months before we went into business together. Um, I just and tell me, okay, so now tell me about going into business together because okay. what prompted that? Well, a little bit of a side story. So after, whilst I was doing all this training for the first marathon, um, I got involved through a friend of mine with, um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Reliable Education, but they they are a organization that educate about setting up an Amazon business. Okay. And uh, she knew the uh, my friend knew the, um, the the CEO of this organization, and they actually fundraised through through all their people that they have come to their yearly summits, so that I could be given. $15,000 to set up my own business. Now, oh, fantastic. Yeah, I know. So it was, I, I cried like a baby and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm very lucky. Whilst I've had a lot of challenges, I've also had um, a lot of very, very wonderful people help me. Oh, no, yeah. Tasha. I, I, I think you, it's the universe has to give back, surely yeah. to somebody when they've, they've given that many obstacles to you. And, um, and look at what you do with it. I mean, yeah. you're just helping. A whole, anyhow, keep going. So we, we started. <laughs> Up, I, originally, the business was set up as a products-based business that was um, – I was trying to develop products to sell on Amazon to try and help people with long-term health conditions and disabilities. I had some okay. really great ideas that were – that had got to the patenting stage when and, – and we were at the initial stages of development when um, COVID hit. And – Everything in the product side of things just became too expensive and too hard. And this is when I was, like I said, within the first sort of three or four months of knowing Adam. And we've kind of said, all right, you and I, we get on really well together. What can we do with this? At at the same point, um, we both started getting offers from people saying, oh, do you want to come along and talk to our group about, you know, motivation? Do you want to come and talk to people about your life story? Do you, do you want to come along and do some accessibility consulting for us? We know you're not qualified, right. but lived experience stuff, we, you, you, we, you always get a better and, idea from people with lived of experience. Course. And on top of that, you knew from looking yourself that there was nobody in wheelchairs that could help other people yeah, up there. So exactly, exactly. So we were like, Yes. And we kept getting okay. offered, the, offered these opportunities, more and more and more of them. We go, yes, yes, yes. Just keep saying yes. We didn't matter if we knew if we could do it or not. We just said yes. We just- <laughs> and it just morphed into what it is now. It, it became a bit of a snowball effect, I guess, of, because we just didn't say no to anything. Um, so, I you know, love that. It, and I think, I think people – saw our, our dynamic and the way we are together right from the very it. start and thought, you know, these guys bring so much positivity to what is, you know, tough things for a lot of people yeah. Um, and, and, and wanted to be part of that and be part of our journey with us. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me about the book. When did that come about? Um, okay. So that would have been just after I did Gold Coast Marathon. Um, right. I, 
I met Lauren Clement. Most people know Lauren. Yes. Yeah. So through um obviously from the audacious agency i knew her through my amazon stuff she was also working with reliable education at the time and um she'd been posting about source bottle which is um obviously tells people about lots of media opportunities and somebody put an advert on there about looking for people to co-author a book oh okay and i was like yeah okay cool i'm you know what? I reckon I could give this a go. I'm I'm always a person that pushes myself and, and kind of yeah, jump, jumps on any <laughs> any opportunity I can to just try and see if things work for me. So just after my first marathon, I was like, you know what? This is a good story to tell. I'm I I think I could write something interesting for this. So I, I put my name up to do this book, and next thing I know, I'm I'm writing a chapter for it. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so now, what is so? And and I see on so social media that you're still doing lots of marathons all around the world now yeah, yeah, with yeah. Adam. Does, is Adam as your coach or does so, Adam yes. do them with you? No, Adam's Adam's my coach. So he, um, he's an, an ex-Australian record holder. Actually, I think he still holds a record oh, in a couple wow. of different okay. things. Yeah. So he, he was a racer for a very long time and he's looking to get back into wheelchair racing again. I think I've, I think being around me has, <laughs> has given him the bug a little bit. There's, there's a lot of um, us older athletes that are kind of getting back into wheelchair racing because you know it's not unusual for a Paralympian to be in their 40s their 50s and sometimes older so um, I think which is just wonderful isn't it and I think that's because quite often people don't come into disability until later in life and and that's just the way it is you you find you find a different path and you find that determination from the things you've been through so um so yeah so Adam's looking to looking to get back into get back into things which I'm quite excited about because I want to kick his ass (laughs) yeah yeah well I bet you will (laughs) and I bet he feels the same way he's like I'm not going to let her show me when I'm an ex-champion exactly right (laughs) (laughs) oh Tash you are so amazing i absolutely love this story and god if this has happened in the last three years i can't imagine yeah. what's going to happen in the next 10 so everything I'm really just feels excited so surreal to, it's so surreal it, well no but it, well i can but you clearly have you're making things happen and by saying yes to everything which is you know one of the great rules in life you exactly. know say yes and worry about it later exactly and you follow that <laughs> philosophy look what's happening so yeah. i'm so pleased for you I absolutely deserve all the successes in the world if anybody would like you to speak or would like to you know maybe there's somebody listening in a wheelchair who would like to have a chat with you about your sport anything what is the best way is there a website i don't want phone numbers or email address but like websites uh, or you can you can find us at invincible.co um that's right. the that's the best way to get and that links into absolutely everything okay and such a great name as well i oh, absolutely also, love also it tashaprice.com yeah. <laughs> tashaprice.com yeah, yeah just remember that well listen thank you so much for sharing your story i'm sure you're going to inspire a hell of a lot of women listening to this <laughs> thank you um, and i really really appreciate it and i'm so delighted to have met you thank and you. heard all of this i've enjoyed it <laughs> thanks so much I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au. 